Hey, WiseCast listener, we wanted to take some time to thank you for supporting, listening, and sharing. Our goal is to create a community that inspires and engages all women in the life sciences and STEM. That is why we are thrilled to partner with Women in Bio, an organization dedicated to the promotion of diversity and inclusion for all women in life sciences and beyond. With 14 chapters across North America, Women in Bio provides programming, education, and professional opportunities for women in all career levels. That's right. From the classroom to the boardroom, WIB has something for everyone. Being a Women in Bio member has incredible benefits, virtual and in-person events, access to professional growth opportunities, and an unmatched community of support and engagement. You can learn more about WIB and its programs and initiatives by visiting womeninbio.org. We hope to see you at some events next year. I'm Dr. Richa Chandra. In today's episode, we are talking about how to do less and be more strategies that all of us need. So Amber, did you apply that strategy on how you dressed for success today? I mean, kind of. So today, <laughs> um, it was a bit cold today. It's overcast and rainy and whatever. So I'm actually wearing this big flannel t- or like not a t-shirt it's a flannel like button up that is my husband's that I stole from him um and so it is very comfortable and warm and cozy and so for me it's that like this morning I think I saw it last night and thought I'm just gonna wear that tomorrow so it made my morning like dress routine super easy this morning it's very cozy and comfortable and so I think all of that just is that like being myself my cozy place my happy place and just not really caring that it may not be the most business professional or like high fashion attire um but it definitely is working for my vibe for today i guess so so kind of what about you so i think i i did do less with other things and so that i could be more in my fashion <laughs> if you will i love it i love it <laughs> so yeah i prioritized looking good today um you know and so a lot of days lately i've just been like oh athleisure whatever sports right <laughs> so today i actually wore a dress um i didn't have to be i mean i have research going on but i didn't have to be in the lab today so you know it's like nice sandals and it's like this um, empire wasted dress so you know this is you know I, I feel like this is how I feel like I'm being more because whenever I dress nicely I feel more in control of over my life if you will so I think I, I am embodying that that vibe a little bit and I just I love the quote that you shared earlier before we even hit record today about you know um, an interpretation of this whole idea of doing less and being more Yeah, so I guess it's from Jim Quick, but a a colleague shared it with me. And it says, on the days you have 40% and you give 40%, you gave 100%. And to me, that's just that give what you got, tune into what you have. And and, I mean, I think that goes with both of our dresses for successes. Like we had different energies and desires for how we wanted to feel today. And like, we just went with it, right? We gave what we had to give and... um, and it and I think it's exciting because it really tunes into to what we we talk about today. So we're excited to have Celeste Hamilton with us here today on Wisecast. Celeste is a meditation teacher, a wellness coach, and corporate speaker, helping busy professionals build mental resilience so they can reduce stress and prioritize their performance and engagement in the workplace. As a medical professional in biotech, 
Celeste understands firsthand how to optimize well-being in busy corporate work life. She also has a mini course on the theme of today's podcast, um, Do Less and Be More, and we're linking that in the episode notes below, so you can look at that as well. And I'm personally really excited to have this conversation and how we can learn from you um, to do less and be more. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us on WiseCast. Well, it's wonderful to be here with you both, Risha and Amber. It's my pleasure to be on and I look forward to our conversation. Wonderful. So our first prompt to you, if you will, um, is regarding, you know, stress. So we had um, an episode several episodes ago in season two, and we discussed how stress can be your superpower. It's all about how you frame it. Um, So a couple of questions around that, I guess, you know, is it even possible to have a life that's stress free? And don't you think we should have some level of stress in our lives? You know what? I love that concept. So stress as a superpower because, you know, absolutely it is. It totally can be. And it's like you said, just about how you frame it up. And uh, I think for a lot of us, the issue with stress comes from either not really being able to recognize when we are stressed uh, or overriding it when we realize that we are. And then also maybe not being equipped with the tools that can help us recover once we're in stress. So um, I would say, you know, maybe going back to that in a bit, how to manage it or how to think about it, just starting with kind of a definition of of stress and how we can look at it maybe more um, along a continuum of either good or bad stress or healthy, unhealthy stress, however you want to frame it and identifying where we fall on that continuum and kind of getting to know that a little bit more um, intimately. And and it's from kind of knowing where we're at (laughs) and then being able to have some agency to to, to make choices to uh, manage it is is sort of a a starting place. So for me, um, you know, I like to, you know, stress is just, if we think about it kind of from a scientific or put our scientific hat on just think action reaction stress is kind of like the stimulus and there's got to be a response right and so depending on what that stimulus is or how long the stress exposure is we're going to have a different type of response so you know we can just think about stress as the stimulus that actually helps us actualize our capability to meet a demand okay so to kind of perform in in whatever we need to address whatever that demand is that we're facing right so there is um, actually this great diagram, which I'll refer you to. And I know a diagram is probably like <laughs> not super helpful for a podcast since we're listening. But since I'm visual, I will try to describe it for you and you guys can uh, you know, Google it later. But it's called the human function curve. And it's um, by a cardiologist named Peter uh, Nixon. And he describes stress basically if you can picture like an X and Y axis. And so along the X axis, you've got increasing levels of stress. And on the Y, you've got performance increasing. Then the shape of the graph there is kind of just like a rainbow or a U-shaped curve. And so, um, you know, he describes these zones or the continuum of uh, unhealthy or healthy stress to, to unhealthy stress and what kind of tips us over that point. So when we have some stress and, um, you know, we start to, like I said, tap into our capability to meet the demand or improve our performance to meet the demand. So it's like stress is rising, performance is rising, but then we get to this kind of peak 
where fatigue starts to set in and fatigue's really the driver of where we get tipped over into that unhealthy stress zone. If you will, we kind of go over the hump and then our performance starts to decrease and we're kind of, um, you know, entering into that unhealthy zone. So if we kind of think about it as, um, our perceived capability of how we can manage the stress, if we're, you know, not fatigued, we probably feel able to manage it. Right. But then when we're fatigued, we start to feel like, ah, it's too much and we get kind of irritable or whatnot. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, and I think that that makes so much sense, right? Like it is just, um, you know, finding that optimal level because you need purpose, right? And so stress means that you care about something, um, that you have purpose, but then if you have too much of it, then it's, you know, you can't actually um, perform well, right? And so that can be uh, negative. So yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like that as a visual, like the U, you know, upside down U and um, thinking of it that way is like, you know, trying to find that, you know, being in that zone, I guess, of, of you know, peak performance. Yeah. And then if we go back to kind of, well, how do we find this optimal level of stress that doesn't, um, isn't sort of detrimental to what we're trying to do or how we're trying to show up in our life. It's, it's really about, you know, tuning into where we're at on our stress continuum. And for all of us, stress feels differently, right? We, our physiological expression of stress can be anything from, you know, a headache to a sleepless night to brain fog to, you know, stomach upset, like even just bringing a little bit of awareness to, you know, when are we actually hitting that tipping point of when it's a little bit too much Um, and just knowing when we get there and then being able to kind of tap into, to things and, and that will help us rest and recover, um, you know, from that stress. So we need to give ourselves time to recover. I think we all know what it's like to feel all of those things, you know, the anxiousness, whatever it is, and then just keep going (laughs) to deliver or meet that deadline or, get that thing done, check that thing off our list. And, uh, you know, we, we want to kind of identify and then pause and then really, uh, try to address it or give us some, ourselves some space to, to rest and rejuvenate before we, um, kind of continue with the, the uh, exposure to more demands. I think it's interesting because you started the conversation with kind of either we don't know if we're like at high stress or like we just push through it. And just in your experience with all the different people that you've worked with, do you think one of those is more common? Like, are there a lot of people who don't realize that they're stressed or is it more common that sure we know we're stressed, but we just have to, like you said, meet that deadline, get the thing done and we push through it. I mean, is it like an even mix or is it skewed kind of one way or the other? Curious. I would say definitely the latter. So a lot of us know exactly, you know, that we are overtired or that we're kind of, we're fatigued or we're feeling anxious and and we feel like we can't, um, or that we don't have that agency or choice to, to say no, or to do the thing that we really need for ourselves to kind of rejuvenate. So I would say, yeah, we are just living in a culture that, you know, we're conditioned to override and, you know, kind of just deal, deal with the stress. And it's, it's almost like the, um, you know, things are, I, I feel like the paradigms are shifting, uh, you know, these days, um, with mindfulness and all that, but, uh, you know, just uh, the old adage of, you know, work hard, play harder, and kind of just like push on through. I, I'd say that's what I encounter most, um, with clients, you know, who I teach meditation to. And, and even in my own journey, I think it was a little bit of a mix, 
I definitely noticed it, or there were some things I noticed other kind of deeper levels of expression of, of stress that I might not have, but definitely um, starts with, you know, connecting the mind and the body and understanding that, you know, whatever we're, we're faced with um, has a physical or energetic manifestation. And I guess this leads us right into kind of when we had our pre-discussion, we talked about the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, which I geek out on because I teach in AMP and it's like, you know, we spend a bit of time talking about um, the autonomic nervous system. And so, right, we know, or that continuous activation of the sympathetic nervous system can lead to things like chronic, you know, chronic stress, depressive orders, anxiety, and vice versa, right? In terms of like, we have those states because we're constantly activating the sympathetic nervous system. System. So I'm curious, because you mentioned like how to train yourself um, to or retrain yourself so that you're not constantly living in this state of sympathetic nervous system activation. So I want to hear your tips on how we do that, how we make that shift and kind of get out of that like steady state activation for the, the stress response, basically. I love this question because, you know, meditation is literally the thing that is probably the quickest and easiest or simplest, maybe not easiest because a lot of times sticking to a meditation practice is, is what's tricky and not, it's not the actual meditation, but once we kind of can, you know, have a little deeper understanding of how it's serving us, then it's easier to stick to. And it, it really is something that can be done in a short amount of time and really serve us in a big way. Um, so yeah, it's like you described when we're in that sympathetic activation that comes from our, again, it's conditioning to feel like if we, if we do more, we're more worthy or, you know, these, this achiever culture, whatever you want to term it, right. The, the more we do, the better we are, the better person we are, or the better we feel about ourselves. Right. So we want to start to kind of you know, disconnect from that, but physiologic, going back to the physiology part of it, um, you know, with meditation or with even just simple, deep breathing, we, you know, activate the vagus nerve and we turn on the parasympathetic nervous system response. So every time we, you know, start with diaphragmatic breathing of some kind or invite stillness into our lives, and we're just kind of, you know, invite rest in, we are able to, you know, tell our body, Hey, it's time to rest. It's time to, you know, restore fatigue, rejuvenate vitality. You know, our body feels safe enough to do that when we're, when we're in the kind of go, go, go hamster wheel, if you will, <laughs> we're not, our body doesn't feel safe to do that. And we're, we're just being reactive as opposed to responsive. So it's really just, you know, physiologically taking that time to, um, you know, tap into diaphragmatic breathing to activate that response. And the more we do that, so kind of, I like to think about this in a couple of ways. So even if you're doing a bit of deep, keep it simple, doing, you know, a bit of deep breathing, say you're going to sit down and take like, I don't know, three or five deep breaths or something like that. That can be really powerful because you can actually, you know, elicit your response that way. And it's one of those things that if we're able to turn on that response in a moment of, crisis or a moment that feels challenging, it's something that can serve us very quickly. So we can get turning on that response, you know, pretty rapidly, but the more we practice that, the more we're able to make it be kind of our default to how we show up and, and respond to everything we do. So when we, you know, take, when we start or develop a consistent um, meditation or more formalized meditation practice, we're able to, you know, spend a little bit of time each day practicing turning it on, turning on that response, 
spending a bit of time processing whatever our body is carrying energetically, kind of intellectually, emotionally, physiologically, giving our body that space it needs to rest a bit and, you know, get used to, uh, you know, going, making an easier switch between sympathetic and parasympathetic. So here's my uh, bad Hindu confession moment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Neither Amber or I have um, jumped on the meditation bandwagon, um, so to say. And and I know that there's diaphragmatic breathing and other um, aspects, obviously, to uh, meditation. But we were wondering, you know, why is meditation any better than exercising, crafting, gardening, what you will? couldn't those things also have the same kind of physiological effect? Yes. So I, I love this question. It is probably one of my most common questions in every, every seminar I give and, and with most of my clients is, you know, and I love to hear that you guys are tuned in to things that bring you joy, help you connect, um, you know, to yourself with others, or even just to the present moment, because that's what it's, that's what it's all about. And so, um, I like to think about it as meditation you've got a formalized meditation practice, and then you've got those things you're describing, which are meditative activities. So the difference comes here. So in, with meditative activities, we want to do those. We don't want to not do those. All of those things that kind of light us up and help us connect and just be, be present, whether it's like you said, crafting, going for a long run, being out in nature, even just sitting down with a cup of tea, maybe journaling, um, having a nice bath. Um, it can be really simple, just closing our eyes for a minute, putting our hand on our heart, just having a moment with ourselves to just to just be as opposed to be, you know, running to the next thing or, or doing something, right? So that all serves us. When we shift over and start something more formalized, um, you know, like a meditation practice, we are sitting down in closed eye meditation, and it just helps us go a little deeper with um that kind of relationship to being and connecting, um, you know, to present moment awareness and uh, just to what's going on in our body and our, our mind, our emotional experience, our physiological experience as well. And um, it is, we're cutting off our, you know, visual stimuli as well. So there's just kind of less going on and that's what allows us to go deeper. So I like to view it as complementary. So we want to do, all of those things you described are the meditative like activities or the things that help us just be as opposed to be, you know, doing so to speak. And the formalized meditation will just help us take that connection a little bit deeper. Right. Cause you know, and I'll ask you guys when you're doing those things that you like, whether it's crafting or, you know, walk in nature or whatever it is, you know, do you feel fully connected while doing them? Are you able to disconnect? Are you able to really just be in them? Or, you know, is there, is there something else needed to kind of get you to that place? I mean, I would say, at least when I'm exercising, um, and that might be my thing, I can empty my mind of like, the things that are stressors, I guess. Um, I can be in the music, I can be, you know, in that, like, just like the physical, um goals i guess right like that's that's kind of where my mental focus is um so i I, and like i said i you know i haven't tried meditation so i can't you know say that it would be worse or better but i also feel like that would if i added meditation i would be doing more right like because i 
Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like the the whole idea is like to do less. I feel um, I feel a little bit stressed out by the idea of having to add meditation to the things that that I already do because I, I spend so much time on like you know well I shouldn't say I, I spend so much time but I do prioritize those meditative or meditation you know adjacent <laughs> activities and so you know and and so I feel like that would be just like another thing and and I feel stressed by that if that makes sense yeah so I guess my question to you would be you know do you feel like there is a certain challenge or um you know goal or place you want to move towards in your life that you don't feel like you can or that you might need something you know additional to support you to get there or do you feel pretty good with with where you're at i'm feeling pretty good at the moment at the moment i'm, I'm not saying that that's like a constant consistent you know yeah. state of yeah. being for me but yeah at the moment i am well there is a there's definitely um i would say you know a time and a place where we decide that, it, you know, meditation is something we want to invite into our lives. And uh, I will say for myself, it's something that was presented to me probably five or six different junctures, you know, since my twenties to now, before I actually was in a place where I was like, oh, you know what, it's the time is now <laughs> I'm going to do this. But there had to be kind of like, you know, a motivation or a reason behind wanting to connect to it. So, you know, my philosophy is kind of, you know, when, when we're ready for something, you know, the teacher appears or <laughs> we're, we're ready when we're ready and there's no rush to be there. Meditation will always, you know, be something that's available for us to tap into. And, and it's really just about, um, you know, also understanding kind of, you know, the view, the view of what it can do for us. So when we, when our, we're able to kind of use meditation as a form of rest. So it's a way of getting a little bit of balancing out our days that are probably very active with, you know, a little bit of rest. So for me, my meditation practices, you know, twice daily for 30 minutes. So, you know, I'm, I have periods of activity and rest kind of balanced and, and that helps me as, you know, a scientist in biotech, <laughs> you know, a business owner, a single mom kind of do all the things I need to do. Like I really need that rest in addition to, you know, my, my sleep, that extra rest, I feel it when I don't do it. And then, you know, the other, the other kind of benefits we get from meditation is just um, being able to have time for ourselves. It's a, it's a time for us to kind of check in with what's going on in our head, what's going on in our thoughts, our intellectual experience of existence. What am I feeling? You know, whether it's physical or emotional and, and, and starting to tune in with, um, you know, what's going on and listening to what that is. So there, you know, as you described, there's many ways to kind of tune in and, and hear our inner voice, if you will, or hear our needs and start to honor those and be in touch with those. And yeah, meditation is one way to do that. There are different ways, you know, to go about it. And everyone has their, their thing that, that supports them best and, and listening to yourself and what works for you is, is the most important. So I'm kind of curious and it's a little bit off script. So Celeste, since you started on your meditation journey, what kinds of like physiological, like, I mean, I'm like data, right? Like, have you actually seen or noticed like effects for yourself? 
I absolutely have. And I would um, say that it, I, I'm, I will describe some of them for you right now. But I will say for anyone that is maybe skeptical and maybe a scientist or critical thinker, maybe, you know, working in finance or law or <laughs> healthcare or something, that's usually the people I, I end up teaching. We are, you know, we went to school for so long to think critically and kind of be like, you know, we, we got to be bought in or kind of have a certain level of understanding before we're going to be trying it out. Right. But the thing with meditation and I would encourage, you know, encourage you to get a level of understanding that, that helps you kind of appreciate, you know, how it can serve you. And then the second part is, you know, try it on for size, treat it as like a science experiment, try it, go all in, follow the, you know, the prompts and the, the technique and let the technique do its work. Just observe see how you feel, see how, you know, what shifts for you in your life over a period of say 30 days or something and, and decide, decide after. So that's what I always say when I'm teaching people is just treat it like a science experiment. You can be, you know, as skeptical, as critical as you want. And it's just about trying it and, and seeing, you know, seeing for yourself, um, you know, how it can serve you. And so in terms of my own benefits, I'll go back to your original question because <laughs> I detoured a little. Um, so many that I can barely begin to describe them, but I think, you know, some of the, the most important ones for me came with, um, just my ability to be in relationship with others, especially with my son, also in the workplace, just in terms of, um, kind of leadership and meeting demands, um, and, you know, in biotech and the pace is it's fast paced. There's a lot of stuff that we have to do. And, <laughs> You know, I felt like my ability to, I'd say one of the first thing I noticed was that I was able to focus better and pivot. So, you know, when you're trying to flip between different types of activities, that's probably like the biggest thing that it served me in. So just, you know, for now it's like doing my son stuff, doing my, you know, biotech job stuff. And I work, I work in the field um, as a medical liaison. So, you know, I'm interfacing with hundreds of people. <laughs> so I've got so many, you know, phone calls and emails and, and whatnot and meetings and just, you know, lots of information coming in. So being able to kind of pivot and then stay focused when I'm in each thing is something that I really saw helpful. Um, just like I said, the rest element of it. So kind of, I started doing my meditation, um, like kind of midway through the afternoon. So I would always have this slump of like feeling a little bit tired, even though I was someone that honestly, like I worked out every day, I eat really healthy. Like I've always done all that stuff, you know, like yoga, whatever it is, um, slept, my sleep was fine. But after I had my son was kind of when I started to like tip over for me a little, and, uh, I felt pretty fatigued. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I started doing the meditation kind of, at, in the afternoons and it helped me get through kind of a longer work day. So it was sort of like awesome. Cause I could get a bunch more work done, which <laughs> I'm sure you can relate to feels good. Um, but, uh, you know, like it's, it would just kind of almost give me like a second wind. Like I would go through the first half of the day and I would feel fatigued. And instead of having, you know, a large Americano or something, I would, uh, do my 20 minute meditation. And then I would literally feel, you know, rejuvenated to, to go about the next half of my day. So those are probably the, the biggest, biggest things. 
I do. I do like the distinction that you made between just kind of like meditation, like formalized meditation versus meditative activities. And I guess as I was kind of listening to that and thinking about maybe some of these other activities that are the like things that help bring me joy and help me stay centered, like being outside in nature, maybe gardening and crafting. And while those things help me like stress relief in a sense, right? Or be find my happy place and do those things. I'm not sure that with those, right? Exercise is different. And granted, we we both like exercise and it both brings us yeah. joy, but I'm not sure that with the other kind of stress relief, joy activities that I'm necessarily connecting with myself, right? In a way where I can really assess like, how am I doing? How am I feeling? And, and kind of um, one of those like check-in, those types of check-in kind of things, um, and so I think this is, you know, an interesting concept to really make sure you're taking the time to to think about those things. And part of the reason I asked the question that I did at the beginning, which you probably thought was the no brainer question about people understanding when they're stressed versus working through the stress is because I think for for some of us, me included, right, sometimes that like identifying how you're feeling and like what is really triggering things and driving things is not something that I do a good job at really maybe recognizing or taking as much time for to be able to process and think about. And so I could definitely see the benefit for carving out, you know, some time to just kind of sit in the stillness with yourself, if you will, to kind of just have that check-in time and really evaluate like, how am I feeling? What's going on? Um, and so I guess that kind of leads into the whole, you know, like the last question that we have for you, um, which is the the end all be all, like, how do we do it? Right. How do we carve out the time to do this? And, and what do we do if you're trying to guide someone who wants to start and doesn't know where to start, obviously outside of clicking your link and, and signing up for your class, but, you know, maybe someone who wants to like test the waters before they, you know, dive full in, like what advice do you have for them? Yeah, def definitely test the waters. It's not up to me to convince you to do anything. So that I will say, and that is a philosophy I <laughs> stand by in my teaching, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. And it's something energetically that you can feel. And I'm sure you've all experienced it with an interaction with another person. If someone has like a firm boundary or, or they're ready for something, you, you can feel it. So, um, you know, it works, it, it works a little like that, but I would say for one, um, you know, we we need to recognize in you know this our society that time for ourselves is incredibly important and the more we're tuned into ourselves and our own needs and are able to honor those the more we're able to serve others and that's kind of what <laughs> what this existence is about right so the more we're the more we allow ourselves you know because at first it can feel kind of like like you described risha like it's oh my gosh, this other thing I have to do. But when you can maybe think about it or reframe as, hey, this is protected time for myself to see what's going on and make sure I'm not missing something, you know, or that, you know, I'm sensitive enough to doing it. it it's sort of, we start to build this bridge between our intellectual experience of existence, which I like to say with our kind of more intuitive or emotional experience of existence. So through meditation, our intuition becomes, um, you know, expanded or heightened, and we're able to to really feel more grounded in decision making. Um, you know, knowing where we want to go. So yeah, those are a couple other benefits I would say I've definitely observed. It's just being able to find clarity much more quickly, and being really rooted in, in decisions, and and not really having to 
do the pros and cons list or like, like I just know, because I know how it feels in my body when something's presented to me. And so being able to tap into kind of that other intuitive or more creative, um, you know, side of ourselves. Right. So, so again, maybe if it feels like a struggle to kind of do something like meditation or even slow down a bit, you know, just, we can think about, you know, we're not slowing down or losing time. We're actually spending that time checking in with the most important thing, which is, which is yourself. Because if you're not, as we know, if we're not, our cup is not full, we are not, you know, serving others in our, in our best ability. So um, I think, I think that's where it starts is, is honoring um, time and attention for ourselves. And, and that can be really uncomfortable at first. And, uh, you know, when we sit in stillness, as I, I'm sure you guys have experienced, if you've tried any kind of, you know, meditation or just moment of being where you don't really have something necessarily that you have to do, that's when the stuff starts to surface. So sometimes it's uncomfortable are things that we fear, um, difficult emotions, they have spaciousness to, to come up. And, and when we give them the space, we can process them and kind of free them from our energetic body, if you will. And, and it gives us, you know, more a feeling of more spaciousness and calm, ease and flow in, in our life. Celeste, do you practice meditation by yourself or do you have like a yogi or do you have like a group of people you do it with? I have practice on my own. And so that's the technique that I, I learned and I've practiced for seven years now. So it's a, it's a form of Vedic meditation. Um, it's called one giant mind. So it's a standardized, you know, technique. It's called a being technique, which basically just does what it sounds like helps you um, you know, be, be in the present moment, <laughs> be with your thoughts, be with your emotions, <laughs> be with whatever you're feeling and, and learn to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, so to speak. So yeah, so my practice is solo and, uh, you know, periodically I'll tap into, um, you know, like the community and do like a mass meditation or something like that, which is, you know, incredibly powerful or, you know, there's lots of different, uh, forms of meditation or types of meditation techniques. And, and so different, different things you can try. Generally, if you start with a, a, be, a form of being meditation or transcending, um, that's a great place to start because it's really starting with just the essence of, you know, being in stillness with yourself, which can be challenging, so. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to try it like a science experiment because it's it's going to be challenging for the extrovert in me because I, I'll start talking to somebody or you know, like, yeah. it's to the four walls. Um, but uh, well, we're gonna have a little bit of fun with you if um, you're you're game for this. Um, we, we're doing this thing where our uh, listeners can get to know our guest a little bit more than you know just um, a, as a subject matter expert. So we have some rapid fire questions uh, prepared, and Amber's gonna time um, us for a minute, and I'll just ask you these questions, and then whatever comes to your mind, you know, you can uh, answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready? Okay. Scale of one to ten. How good are you at keeping secrets? Oh, wait, is 10 good or zero? <laughs> um, 10 would be good. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm good, 10. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> What's for dinner tonight? Oh, that's a, that, I'm not good at that. <laughs> my dinners. There is a food box from Fresh and Lean. <laughs> nice. <laughs> from one to 10, how hot do you like your shower water? 
Very hot. 10, 10, super hot. <laughs> Current favorite binge worthy TV show. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, not rapid fire. <laughs> I just watch. I can't remember the name. <laughs> That's the same problem. <laughs> like, oh my God. Cause it's like, I kind of go in blips where I'm watching like, <laughs> like I'll binge it and then I won't watch anything for a while. Oh my gosh. I can't even think of one name. It's time. <laughs> It'll come to you after, right? Like after yeah, it's done. Yep, I'll remember. Always, <laughs> always uh, mostly Latino drama type shows. <laughs> oh, I like those. Lots of like slaps and like melodrama. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for joining us and for enlightening us about meditation. Um, and I like your your approach to it. That you know you have to be open to it, right? And then. Um, you know, try it out, try it on for size. And then that's how you'll really learn if it's if it's the right approach for you. Um, so we have one last question for you. How can our listeners connect to you? Yeah, so I mean, I'm most of my marketing, I'm on LinkedIn. So that's the easiest place to find me if you want to send me a message. You can also email me at hello at drcelestehamilton.com um, or my website, same, drcelestehamilton.com. <laughs> awesome. And we have all those links in the episode notes below as well. Thank you so much, Celeste. We really enjoyed this conversation. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we are taking a little time off to do less and be more. So you will hear from us in the new year. Happy holidays from WiseCast. Thank you as always for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to donate to our cause using the PayPal link in the episode notes and share your love of WiseCast with all of your friends. I am Dr. Richa Chandra. And I'm Dr. Amber Miller. 